grateful for you. Let's get our Bibles out and open to Hosea 14. Find that on page 1049 in the Pew Bible in front of you as we finish up the book of Hosea. I think intense would be a good word. I would maybe say the book of Hosea, this study has been uh, surprising in many ways. Uh, for me, in that um, it just hasn't, uh, it's just been extra special. It's, God's shown uh, me personally things through the book of Hosea that uh, I had never seen before in ways that I hadn't seen it, and I'm grateful for that. And I know that it was for me, and it was for you, and it was for us, and we should praise God and be grateful to Him for His goodness to us through this study and we, he's so good when we commit ourselves to his word. What a blessing it is to serve a God who speaks and loves to speak to his people. So again, thank you to all of you that uh, served, uh, faithfully gave up. A lot of people took their vacation week from work last week to uh, go with our children to Centra Kid. What a blessing that was. Uh, it's a huge group of kids, and then we have another big group leaving at 3 o'clock in the morning. So thank you to all of you who volunteer for that. Uh, just such a reminder of what a great family this is. So many people serve so sacrificially. And there were many uh, kids whose uh, families couldn't afford to send their kids to camp. Many of you sent their kids to camp. Uh, same thing with students. Tremendous. What a blessing. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time together. Father, you are good to us in ways beyond our ability to comprehend and understand. And in those which we can see and acknowledge, Lord, it just fills our heart with gratitude. We so long to be with you face to face to, Lord, uh, be made right, to have minds able to comprehend supernatural things, Lord, in supernatural ways. God, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for your willingness to speak. Thank you for people who come hungry to meet with you, to hear from you. Lord, we pray that in this time you'll fill this place with your spirit that you will minister through the ears that you give that we might hear receive and respond rightly to the things that you say thank you in advance for what you'll do we give you all the glory praise and credit in jesus name amen amen so it's been two months in the book of hosea looking at god's relentless redeeming love and we've been looking at God's love on one side, and on the other side is always balanced with the unfaithfulness of his people, the way that we as God's people are hardwired in our flesh to run away from God to other things. So if you have your listening guides out, we'll... We'll get the tough things out first and save the good things for later. How about that? 
To be human is to constantly feel the pull of other loves. That's really one of the themes that is so evident uh, in the book of Hosea. It's certainly not the central theme, but it is one of the themes that drives the central theme. For God's love wouldn't be that great, that relentless, and that redeeming if it, if it were pursuing a people that were willing and open and, and devoted. And so it makes us ask questions like, well, how, how much does God love us? How much? How far is he willing to go to get us to return to him? Well, far enough to call a man named Jose to marry a woman named Gomer, who was a woman committed to a life of adultery and prostitution. To call that faithful man to have a family, children, And to do so even though he knew in advance that his wife would be unfaithful to him. And so this Hosea-Gomer love story, it provides a picture of this relationship between this incredibly loving God. And it's not just that that God is so loving. It's, it's, It's what his love is directed at that's so shocking. No matter how unlovable or unfaithful his people are, God continues to not only love them, but to pursue them in their unfaithfulness, just like he called Hosea to do with Gomer. So these 13 chapters over two months, we've all seen uh, the reality that our heart's default setting is to run away from God. And that we, we're all just uh, a few steps from doing so, honestly. If we're, if we're being real. And the thing about it is, is that we run to other things seeking the very things that only God can give us. What we want so desperately is to find our identity and to find security and to find meaning and purpose. And all those things can only be found in God, yet we search for them so oftentimes in other things. But if you're going to write a love story, how would it end? I mean, the the thing about love stories, which I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm an expert on love stories because it's not my favorite thing. And why? It's not because I don't like love. I love love. The reason that I'm not big on love stories is because of how they end. It's so predictable, right? And so, I mean, I like a little, you know, curveball, you know, or something. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of everything always works out perfect. I like to, you know, walk away from a story and be a little startled or shocked or puzzled by it the way it left me hanging. Well, that's what Hosea does, praise the Lord. This is my kind of love story right here. I mean, chapter 14 is not what you would expect. Look at verse 9. Look at the very last verse in the book of Hosea. The whole thing ends with this verse. The question, who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Or discerning, let him know them. 
For the ways of the Lord are right, the righteous walk in them, but the transgressors stumble in them. Now that, to me, is an ending. There's no other prophecy in the Bible that I know of that ends this way. This is very unique. See, normally, the way prophecies end is what would be expected. In other words, here's a recap of what you're doing. And here's the recap of what's going to happen if you don't quit doing what you're doing. That's typically the way prophecies end. They end with an appeal, but not Hosea. Hosea ends with a, what, this is what I, I think it's a proverb. It sounds exactly like something from the book of Proverbs. You know Proverbs, the, the book of wisdom. You know, that uh, has all these amazing uh, nuggets of biblical wisdom that seem so simple, yet so many people just don't get it. You know, like everyday wisdom that just eludes so many people. Some of my favorite Proverbs, 27, 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. <laughs> Amen. Man, that's good truth right there. Some of you just don't get that. Like it's just, whoo. You just think that when you think of something, you should just go tell somebody or text them or call them with no regard of what time it is. As if it were an emergency, which it is not. Anyway, let's move on. That's not my only favorite proverb, by the way. Here's a great one. Like a gold ring in a pig's nose, amen, is a beautiful woman with no discretion. Ooh-wee. I mean, that's good stuff right there. That'll change your life. You should think about that. Amen. The book of Proverbs. It's like a proverb. So if I were going to make verse 9 into a proverb, here's how I think I would sum it up in a proverb when you're listening, God. He who loves the Lord above all is a healthy and whole person because your life is determined by what you love. I think that's a, a, a summation proverb of the book of Hosea. He who loves the Lord above all is a healthy and whole person because your love, your life is determined by what you love. And I chose those words very carefully, so let's look at them. Let's think about it. He who loves the Lord above all. That's where I spent the most time, above all. Thinking about how would I say that, above all. It's a healthy and a whole person. Look at verse 1. How this begins, chapter 14. O Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Now let's just stop right there and just hold on one second. Think about all that we've seen, all that we've been through, all that we've realized, all the how 
the gravity of the unfaithfulness of God's people illustrated in Hosea. I'm not even talking about our own lives and hearts. I'm just talking about what we've learned about Israel in this study. And yet, here we are again, God saying, return. This is just a mind-blowing thing. Why? Why is there yet another invitation to return? It should just be shocking to you. If that doesn't shock you, then you don't understand anything that we've learned in two months. Return? Really? I'm not shocked that God's saying return because I think the people should already be there, and so return shouldn't be that. No, I'm saying that God would issue this invitation. It's shocking. It's unbelievably shocking to me. Think about this. Think about how unhuman God is. Think about me and you. Be honest. How do you typically respond to people and situations when they hurt you, betray you, dismiss you, reject you, belittle you? Mock your kindness and love towards them. What is your typical response? To issue a, an invitation to return? So what? So they can do it some more? No. Nobody does this. I mean, just think in a practical, real-life, everyday scenario. I mean, someone at work rejects you betrays you, you know, just dis you're kind to them and they just dismiss your kindness. What do you do? How do you respond to hurt and to pain and to betrayal? See, God, th this is what you got to understand. God doesn't respond with self-preservation, like we do. That's what we do. That's the only thing that makes sense to us. God doesn't do that. God doesn't respond with self-preservation. Why? Is God just a, a glutton for punishment? Is that what it is? Does he just... Does he just Want more punishment? Well, no. Well, then why doesn't he respond with self-preservation? It's not, this is what we've learned just from this study. It's not because God can't be hurt because we've seen in this, God's been very open and honest with us to the pain that he feels personally when his people betray him. So it's not that he can't be hurt. Then why is it? It's because his love outweighs the pain of the betrayal. It's almost an unsensible love. See, to me and you, we would say that's unhealthy. To me and you, we would say you, you, you need some professional help 
That's, that's not good. That's not healthy. God goes back in, back in, back in because the, his love outweighs the pain. See, we have to realize the way the world works. Our love is the only gift that God can't give himself. Yeah, think about it. He can't give it to himself. It's the only thing he can't give himself. See, the only thing God wants that God will not get by his power is the voluntary love of a human heart. It's the only thing. See, love is either a choice or love is not real. It's the only way this works. And so God issues yet another invitation to return. Well, well, well I think we should, I think we, we should think this through. We should understand how this shapes the entire universe. It shapes everything about all that God's done and the way in which He's done it, right? I mean, let's let's think about let's think about things that the Bible says, pinnacle things. For example, when Jesus says, here is the thing, what does he say? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Isn't that what he says? This is the thing. Like if you're going to do one thing, this is the thing you should do. This is, what, this is how you should understand life. That the primary thing on the mind of the one who holds up a billion galaxies is me and my loving him? Is you and your loving him? Now, you got to understand, the Bible's absolutely clear that God's totally self-sufficient and in need of nothing, right? I just read Psalm 50, in need of nothing. But that's true, yet he longs for this one thing. He can't give it to himself because it has to be a choice or it's not real. So think for a minute like Jesus encounters the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And, and here's what he says to her. He says, True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking those to worship him. Now, now think about this. That God is seeking those to worship Him, to love Him, to adore Him. To Now remember, He doesn't mean that they're going to go through the function of worship. He's not talking about doing some external thing because the woman that He's talking to is in the midst of a totally broken and corrupt system where it's all fractured and even though she's an outsider, a Samaritan, her people are doing something because she gets in this big debate about where they're supposed to do it. And Jesus is like, you're missing the whole point. Don't miss the point here. God is seeking. He's seeking people to worship him, to love him. 
in spirit and in truth. Now, he said, think this through. Now, the person that he says this to, he says this to a lady who is doing everything wrong. Right? She's, she's living with a man she's not married to. And this isn't the first, second, third, or fourth time that this has happened. Right? So she's doing everything wrong. And yet God tells her that he's seeking people to worship him. Why is he telling her that? Wouldn't it make sense to you that if God was seeking people to worship him, then he would, then he would go after those who are most qualified? If he's seeking something, right, when you're seeking something, what do you do? You seek the best to, to meet that need. So if you were seeking someone, you would get the most qualified. You would get the person with the right training or the right background or the right what something. You would have some, some sort of system for weeding people out, wouldn't you? But not, not Jesus, no. He seems to do the opposite. Now, the question is why? Why does he do that? Why does he do the opposite of what we would do? Why does he make an invitation or an appeal to this woman who is so, for the same reason, why would he tell me to return to him? Why would he tell you to return to him? Why would he do that? Why? Is he just a nut? Or is there a reason? Because God knows something. God knows what happens to people who return to Him. He knows what happens to people who worship Him. And what is that? He knows that wherever they are, whatever they've done, however long they've done it, no matter how deep, dark, and broken their soul is. When they come to him and they love him, his love will heal them. That's why he invites. His love heals us. So, so the, the, there's a huge implication right in front of your face right now. If this is true, then what does it mean? It means that what keeps God from rejecting you is not you. Huh? Yeah. I told you, you're going to have to put your thinking cap on this morning. It's not you. If his love was based on you, you'd be out. It's not based on you. So what is it based on? His love. See, notice what happens in Hosea 14. Watch what God shows us. He says, return to me. And then look at how he illustrates 
beginning in the second half of verse 2, what's going to happen. He says, so say to him, take away all iniquity. Receive us graciously, for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say any more to the work of our hands, you are our gods. For in you, the fatherless find mercy. I will heal their backsliding. Notice how God starts talking about what's going to be the ramifications. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall grow like the lily and strengthen his roots like Lebanon. His branches, branches shall spread. His beauty shall be like an olive tree and his fragrance like Lebanon. Those who dwell under his shadow shall return and shall be revived like grain and grow like, vine, like the vine. Their scent shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, well, what have I to do anymore with idols? I have heard and observed him. I am like a green cypress tree. Your fruit is found in me. You see? You see, God's, God's just expressing what happens when we, when we love him. What happens when we let his love in? What happens when... When we exercise the first part of our proverb. See, when we love God above all, He heals us, doesn't He? He makes us healthy and whole the way we we're meant to be. That's what does that. that that's, why, that's why a relationship with God is transformative. That's what does it. He heals us. See, we're not just, um, we're, not, we're not the same people that we were before we knew God, just forgiven and going to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. So what changed? Well, the love of God changed. It changed you and it changed me. It's the, it's the problem-solving, soul-healing power of the love of God. But, but how is it activated in our life? Of us loving God. See? See, God's love is... Think of God's love as the, the perfect medicine for the broken human soul. It is that, but it's of no value unless you take it in. If you don't take it in, it doesn't diminish its capacity or ability. It doesn't change the reality of what it is, but it, has, it, won't, it doesn't affect you. You have to take it in. That's why the proverb says to love God above all. It's not just to love God because 
God's love is, is, a, is a peculiar love. As you've, I mean, it's, it's, it's completely different than our love. But the thing about God's love is that it's, it's a jealous love. And it, it, it won't. We saw last week the most graphic place in all of Scripture of how unwilling God, God's love is to share. He, he won't share first place. Ever. But that's what happens when we love God. Re- remember when David spoke these beautiful words in Psalm 91. David said, because God's talking about David and he says because he has set his love upon me therefore I will deliver him I will set him on high because he has known my name he shall call upon me and I will answer him I will be with him in trouble now it's important to understand that God didn't say I'm going to protect him from trouble I'm going to make his life smooth easy all that because David's life wasn't that way but David was a very flawed man just like me and yet It was because he loved God. Through all of his struggles and all of his ups and all of his downs, he loved God. Now notice, it says, because he has set his love upon me. Notice what it doesn't say. Notice that it doesn't say, because David has loved me perfectly. It doesn't even say David has loved me faithfully. You know what it says? David set his love on me. And you know what that means? David set the love that David had on God. You see, God's not calling you to love him perfectly because you can't. He's not even calling you to love him necessarily faithfully because, well, what's the standard? He's calling you to love him with the love you have. That's what he's calling you to. Set your love. Set the love you have on him. And his love will heal you. It will heal you. David just set whatever love he had upon God. You see, it's true, isn't it? We can set our love on anything we want to. You, you can set your love on anything you want to. You, you make that choice. God, I've already said, God won't make that choice for you. You decide what you're going to set your love on. So what do you, or what have you set your love on? See, part of the problem is we don't even know what love is. We're so tangled up and twisted up and deceived about love, we don't even know where to begin. Some of us in the room, our, our concept of love has been shaped by all the wrong things. And so you think all the dumb love stories and all the dumb love songs are really about love, and they're not. They're just dumb. So sorry to break it to you. Especially if your love has been shaped by country music love songs. <laughs> You're super dumb. Don't email me, call me, text me. I don't care what you think. You're dumb. 
See, you, you, you don't fall in and out of love. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. People do not fall in and out of love with things. That's not how love works. Love is a fire. And the minute you quit stoking that fire, it'll die out. Huh? Oh, yeah. So quit lying to yourself. If your marriage is dead love right now, that's, you know why that is? You didn't fall out of love. You stopped stoking the fire. So the good news is, you know what you need to do today? Get you some kindling and crank that mug back up again. That's what you need to do. It's not complicated. You set your love places. And wherever you set your love, you, you start burning a fire, and that thing's going to burn until you quit stoking it, and then it's going to go out. It's exactly how it works. You invest. You invest your love. You choose where to invest it. Whatever love you have, you choose where it goes. Man, we should have an invitation right now. It's true. There's no way around it. Wherever your love is, you put it there. And do not ever whine about where you're, because your love is not somewhere. That's your fault. You did that. And let me tell you something. No, no one else. Now, let's just, one more thing before we leave this topic. Because let's get one thing critically straight here. Nobody else causes you to set your love somewhere else. It's nobody, nobody behaved in such a way and forced you to move your love somewhere else. You are lying to yourself to excuse your sin. Because let me tell you something. Praise be to God that he don't move his love because of your behavior. But all of a sudden, on you, you're going to make your own economy. Are we clear? I mean, come on. You put your love where it is. You did that. You determined that. You either stoke the fire or let it burn out. You do that. Every single one of us can think of something that we used to love that we don't love anymore. What happened? Did the thing? It, no, you stopped stoking the fire. And so it just fizzled out and you went on to something else. That's how it works. That's how it works. Because, second half of the proverb, your life is determined by what you love. See, these are the two themes of the book of Hosea. Everything you do, everything you think, everything you believe is rooted in a relationship that you have with something that you love. 
That's, what, that, that's why you do what you do. That's why you think what you think. Why do you think that happens? Why do, you, why do you use your time the way you use it? Why do you spend your money the way you spend it? Why? How come, how come you do this this way? Other people do it this way. Some people do it that way. It's, it's all determined by your love allocation. That's what determines everything about you. Everything about you. Is determined by your love allocation. Our whole life is shaped by our love. That's how we were made. God made us that way on purpose. Why? Because He loves us. So He made us to operate on love. Think about when, I mean, Jesus is talking about. When Jesus is talking about something, he says, well, wherever your treasure is, your heart will be there also. Right? Why? Whatever you love. That's where your heart is. Wherever you put what's important to you, whatever drives you, whatever makes you think. And, And not only that, when you love something, it determines everything about you. Remember back in Hosea chapter 4? When God said, well, Israel, you're like a stubborn calf. I prefer the term heifer. I just like saying that. When I can, I take the, uh, you know, liberty. It's biblical. It's very rare when I can use that in a sentence and I get in trouble. Like a stubborn heifer. Now, Is God just throwing out a, you know, is he just mad? And he's thinking, you know what you are? No. He called them that for a reason. Why? Because they've been worshiping who? Baal. And what's the symbol of Baal? A calf. And he's pointing out that you look like what you worship. Right? Yes. That you begin to resemble what you worship. Yeah. Yeah. Psalm 115, but our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. The idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. Well, what about them? Well, they have mouths, but they don't speak. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have nose, but they can't smell. They they then, they have hands, but they can't handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them, here's the key, are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. Whatever you love determines your life because you begin to look like that thing. You begin to emulate that thing. Your life is shaped by that thing or that person or whatever it is. Love shapes you. Everything about you. Internally, externally. And so here's the point of all this, is that idolatry robs us of humanity. See, when we, when we get wrapped up in idolatry, what happens is we become, we, we become less human as humanity was intended. See, when you, when, when you set your love on other things, you become as insensitive and as powerless as the thing that you're Setting your love on. Determines who you are. Listen, idols don't have to be some dark, sinister thing. It could be something good. 
It could be something that was intended to be a blessing, but you've turned it into an idol and now you've corrupted it. It could be that your, your idol is appreciation for the things that you do. Now, some of you are just ate up. You want recognition and appreciation for how hard you work or what you achieve or what you do. Your idol could be the opinion of someone you respect. It could be the desire for happy, well-adjusted children. That's a big idol. It is. Your idol could be a healthy marriage. It's an idol. God wants you to have a healthy marriage. But he doesn't want you to love your marriage above all. That's going to turn you into something that's not what you were intended to be. See, there's a lot of things that are good, but if you blow it out of proportion, it becomes deadly. It's just that simple. So he who loves the Lord above all is healthy. He's a healthy and whole person. Because his life is determined by what he loves. But it's not that simple because to be human is to constantly feel the pull of other loves. So who among us can do this? Every one of us has been unfaithful to God. Those most transparent before God and, and open and honest would admit we've been really unfaithful. But there's good news. See, when it, when it comes to love, God grades on the curve of the cross. Praise the Lord. See, that's why David could just set his love on God and God would respond with healing because because of the cross, God, will, God takes the love that we have. See, the cross erased the requirement for perfect love because it met that requirement on our behalf. You understand? So you no longer have, that's why you and me don't have to fix ourselves up and clean ourselves up and get whip ourselves into shape in order for God to love us because he grades on the curve of the cross. I'm just saying, if God was my math teacher, Tone would have got an A. But he wasn't my math teacher. But he has been my life teacher. See, that's the only way words like this could be in the Bible. Remember back in Hosea 2, God says, To these wicked people, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and loving kindness and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. I mean, it's, it's absurd. It's crazy. It's unbelievable. Like, what, what's happening? See, God... God calls me and you to return to him. He calls us to, to him. He invites us to love him above all things with full knowledge of 
the person that we were before we became a Christian, he knows with full knowledge the person that will be as a Christian. And he knows everything that lies ahead for us until this life ceases. And yet somehow, he says things like Isaiah 62, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so God rejoices over you. It's like God looks down the aisle and sees the bride turn the corner and light up the room. and That feeling that the groom feels when he sees his bride coming towards him, that's what God feels when he sees us. In Hosea 11, he says, when Israel was a child, I, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. In the midst of their depravity and their wickedness and their rebellion against him and their idolatry. See, you have to understand it's his love for you that, that enables us to... That, that's why God keeps saying this. Don't you understand? Is God weak and needy or something? No. He, what the Bible is teaching you is that God's always reminding you of his love for you because it's his love for you that enables you to love him. That's how that works. We love him because he first loved us. If he doesn't love us first, we, won't love, we can't love him. Don't you see? So that's why he does that. His love outweighs the pain that he feels. Of our rebellion. I mean, how can I love God above all practically in everyday life? I mean, how, how can I do that? How, I mean, what does that look like? Well, let me just tell you something that I think I think the the the, the very simplest basic way to understand this, like if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, you know. What are you saying to me, God? I just want you to understand that loving God above all, it's not, it's not perfect. Like David, setting your love on God, the love that you have on God. But it will keep you from continually and repetitively doing things that grieve him. If you continually and repetitively do things that grieve him, then you, the problem is not that you don't love God enough. The problem is you don't understand how much God loves you. See, all the things that grieve God, all the things that grieve God are things that hurt you. That's why they grieve him. So look, let's finish. Look at, look at this amazing verse 9. Who, who is wise? The end of all of this, who, who is wise? Who, who's wise? Then let him understand these things. What things? What are these things? The story of God's love for you. The wisest thing you can do is understand how God loves you. Who is discerning? Well, let him know them. Them what? These things. The way that God loves you. Because the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. Stumble. When you stumble, I stumble. 
You've stumbled. When, when you stumble, who does it hurt? You. You. But not just you. When you stumble, it hurts you. But it also hurts those who love you the most. It hurts God. It hurts him. He loves you. Psalm 18 says he delivered me because he delighted in me. That's why he delivered you. Jesus came seeking those who would worship him. Would you set your love on him? Do you know how much God loves you? No matter what happens, I want you to remember this. He knows he loves you, and that's all that counts. Whenever you're asking the question, why does God do this? Why does God do that? Why is God the way? It's because he knows that he loves you. The one thing that God knows that never changes is he loves you. He loves you.